Tonight, we're concluding a sermon series, uh, in case you didn't know that. It, the sermon series is entitled, The Church's One Foundation. Um, if you've kind of wondered, what is that one foundation? Well, you don't have to wonder very long, because in the subtitle, you'll see there, it's Christ-Centered uh, Core Values. So that is the series that we are in the midst of, and we've been looking at, at truth. Uh, Pastor Gabe preached on that uh, several weeks ago. Uh, then Pastor Craig came along and preached on worship. Pastor Philip preached on community, and tonight we look at missions. And uh, it's really interesting, when we first revealed these four core values, a number of people said to us, man, it's a real shame that Jesus didn't make the top four. And uh, well, that's not true at all, because that one foundation is Jesus Christ. All the core values, all the things that we do are built upon Jesus. Now, sometimes around the, the, the table, our staff will debate about which core value is the most important. And, you know, Craig, he always wrongly argues that worship is the most important. And I will always argue missions is the most important. But at the end of the day, we really know which one is, is the most important. That is truth, right? Because if truth is off kilter, then the other three core values are off kilter as well. Okay, it's kind of like, you know, this, this past week we had a BFG luncheon and I was talking to David Robinson and he was sharing with me his trip that he and Wesley took to Italy. And we were talking about the, 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 the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And when you think about the Leaning Tower of Pisa, it's not really the tower that's, that's leaning, right? It's the foundation that's shifted. And that's why it looks that way. And the thing is, if we don't get truth right, then it's going to corrupt how we do worship going to corrupt how we view community. It's going to corrupt our view of missions. So really truth is that most important of the four core values and the other ones are built off of that. Now we've been looking at the different core values for, uh, for, the, for the past several weeks and some of you may still be wondering, well, what exactly is a core value? You know, that's, that's maybe some language you don't use every day. And when we think about a core value, it's just something that you're really passionate about. It's something that you care about. It's something that, that you're committed to. It's something that is self-evident. Now, even you think about even in your own life, is there something that you're uniquely passionate about? Is there something that you're kind of uniquely committed to? Just by a show of hands, can any of you just think of something that, that you would say, yes, I am committed to that? Anybody have a unique commitment? Okay, you, you've got them. Tim, I see you just raised your hand. Okay, I'm gonna call you on the spot. What is your thing that you're uniquely committed to? I'm going to put you on the spot. You're gonna, okay, we assume Crystal. What else? UK basketball. Okay, let me just tell you, if you know Tim, you know that he's committed to UK basketball. Why? Because he's passionate about it. He cares about it. And the same thing is for churches and for just organizations in general, right? That these are the things that we're most committed to. We're so committed to them, we put them on the wall, Right? We have truth, we have worship, we have community, we have missions. As our staff thought about who are we as a church, what are those things that which drive us, these are the four that we came up with. Not that you remember, because it's been many moons ago, but we used to have five core values. And in, in our in honest evaluation, we said, you know what, one of these is just an aspiration. It's something that we want to be, but it's not fully who we are as a church. And I'll tell you what, when you know your core values, it's not hard to make decisions. When you know who you are, you know what matters to you, you know what you're committed to. When we look at, at our church calendar, we look at our, our budgeting, we look at the things that we want to do ministry-wise, we ask ourselves, how does it fit in our core values of truth, worship, community, and missions? These four things, they, they act as an eternal kind of compass for us that drives us as a church. And tonight what I want to do is I want to answer two questions. I want to look at two different questions, okay? You'll see them here on the screen. The first one is, how did missions become a core value today? 
How did we get to where we are today? Because I, I want us to look at that because I think we can learn something from that. One, I think it helps us to celebrate what God has done. It helps us to honor those who have been involved in missions and who have gotten us where we are today. But I think it also challenges us that we've got to continue in doing these things if we want missions to be core to who we are. The second question we're going to look at is how do we uh, ensure missions is a core value tomorrow? Because there's no promise. There's no promise that what we're passionate about today will be passionate about tomorrow. We have to be steadfast in our commitment to these things. So these are the two questions uh, we're going to look at. But let's get to that first question. How did missions become a core value? Because if you look at the history of the church, there have many, been many things that our church has been passionate about. I'm not sure that, that missions per se has always been the greatest passion of our church. Let's just be honest, it was probably really hard to do international missions in the 30s, right? It looks a little different uh, today. But I think over the last 20 years, there have been a number of things that, that I would say have really pushed us in that direction of making missions a core value. And when you look at these things, I think that we could identify them in kind of three different categories. It just so happens they, they all start with the same letter, which just excites me as a preacher. Uh, but they, but they, they're preaching, they are programs, and people. Again and again, we see preaching programs and people that God has really used to shape missions into, uh, into a core value for our church. And what I want us to see as I, I go through a list of different things that, that we have done is that there is no magic bullet. There's not really one thing ever that will move a church in a particular direction. But it's that, it's that old saying, you know, you, how do you eat the elephant? If you were going to eat an elephant, I don't know why you would, it'd probably be illegal, but if you eat an elephant, you would probably do it one bite at a time, right? That's how you would do it, and that's, I think, what we see. So let me just walk through some of these things that I feel like have, have really led us to becoming a missions-minded church. And the first one is just the biblical teach, uh, preaching and teaching. And this is something that we've seen consistently through Dr. Cook. Uh, through the years and how he has led us in this way. And we have such, such gifted teachers in our BFGs as well. But I think we, we don't want to undersell what that can do for a congregation to consistently go through God's word, to preach the gospel, to preach evangelism when it's there, to preach missions when it's there. So I think we've seen a consistency of two decades of preaching and teaching on missions. And, you know, we have some great examples of this. Uh, five years ago, some of you may remember, we did a month-long series called Amplify. Uh, all the sermons uh, were on evangelism and missions, and then all the teachings that we had in BFG were on that as well. That's just an example of one of the things that we've done. You know, another example of just teaching and training that we do is right now with the, the Take the Step evangelism class. So what we've seen is I think God has used preaching and teaching. A second thing that the Lord has used to really shape us as a church in the area of evangelism is cooperative program giving. Now, that may sound boring, and youth, you're like, I don't even know what that means. But CP giving, cooperative program, missionaries out on the field, whether it's international or in our own country, they, they, they have to survive. They need insurance. They need meals. They need housing. How is that provided? It's people like you giving to the cooperative program. So it really matters. And I put up there 2001 to 2007 because our church made a significant change in our giving during that season. We went from giving 1% of our annual budget to cooperative program and missions to giving 7% in 2007. That is a, that's phenomenal change. And so I really look back to that season as saying, that's when our, our finance team, that's when our, our, our Pastor Cook and Pastor Jeff said, we're going to make a commitment to missions. And I think we don't want to undersell that. Another thing that we see is that we've had a lot of members who have become missionaries during this time. 
You know, the Lord has really um, has sharpened a lot of people's call to missions in their time here at Ninth and O. This afternoon, I was sitting down. I know I was writing down some names of people who've gone on the mission field, and, and certainly I forgot some of these families. But just listen to some of these families that have gone on to the mission field during this season. You'll remember some of these names. Uh, Hartsfield, Harry, Affleck, uh, Teeman, Allier, Brock, Basaba, Greg, Flowers, Hughes, Leach, uh, Maynard, Lumbrix, Wetstein, Cable, Perry, Mirzma, Farrars, Ellis, Schwartz, Kay, McRae. Edney, Pickwick, Wilson. And the question is, I'm sure I missed some, but, but who is next, right? Now, that's a long list of people that the Lord has, has maybe they've come here and they've, they've wondered, where is God leading me? And God has sharpened that calling on their life. And I think that has infused a greater passion for missions because it makes sense. I mean, I know some of you in here are in the Pickwick BFG. That has made an impact on you. If they were in your BFG and how you view missions, because those are your friends, you care about them, you love them, you want to minister to them. I think that's really shaped our congregation. You know, a ministry we did early on in, in my ministry here at Ninth and O that, that made a big difference was a ministry called Grow. And uh, God rewards our work is what it stood for. It was something we did for five or six years back in the early 2000s. Uh, we would meet each Monday and we would write letters. We'd uh, follow up with guests. Uh, we would do door to door. All of these things. Some of you are smiling because you remember. And uh, it was a great ministry for us. I think what was so great about it is it taught us as a congregation to, to love our guests better. It taught us that it was important uh, to follow up with people. I was looking through an old list of, of people who served um, on, on one of the teams in one of the years, and I looked at the list of names, and I, I, it was a joy to me as I thought about some of the, the names of people who served. Steve and Shelley Sullivan, uh, Becky Wall, Roger Ball, Rose Booth, Josh Hitchcock, Bo Hutchinson, Don Metcalf, Don Miller, Urban Martha Searles, Christy Jones, uh, Gene Hatfield, Chad Padgett, Ryan Whitford, uh, Beckham and Pauline Eldridge, Tommy Sims, Bob and Carol Golden, Josh Affleck, Josh Boswell, Paul Duncan. This was one of the teams that we had. What an all-star team. What an all-star team. And God used that to really shape us in the area of missions. Another thing that we saw was in 2004, we established a missions team. Uh, I know that, that Pastor Eliff went on a mission trip sometime in the 90s. I don't know the exact year. I can't remember. I don't know when we took a mission trip before that. But really, it was in 2004 that we began to get more organized in the area of missions. And Pastor Philip helped to, to, to launch that team in 2004. And that really began a really special ministry in the life of our church. And that was an Ecuadorian pipeline that we have had over uh, the last 15, 16 years. I was looking and trying to keep track of how many trips we've taken to Ecuador uh, since we took that first one in 2004. And it's around 30 is how many we've taken. Um, if you look at the cost of the trips uh, and you calculate it by how many people we've had go on those trips, uh, we've spent over $600,000 in sending people to Ecuador over the last 15 years. And that's a phenomenal number. That's a phenomenal uh, commitment. But God has used that. And I think of all the people who have led those teams and how God used that in their lives. Uh, another thing that we did in 2005, which was another commitment, was that we created the, uh, a missions pastor position. And I think that communicated to our congregation that this is important. This is something we're committed to. It was around that same time that we began to see a, a, um, an orphan care passion uh, emerge. And for those of you that were here at this church, really in those early years in particular, we saw just a phenomenal number of people who said, you know what, I want to get involved in orphan care. I want to get involved in adoption. Many of those early on were international. 
then domestic, and then it's kind of transitioned over to, to more foster care. But here are some of the names that I wrote down of people that I remembered that who adopted, especially in those early years. And, and I'm forgetting some of the names, so forgive me. But Glass, Moore, Hunter, uh, Marshman, uh, Poteet. You remember some of these names for those of you who've been around a while. Uh, Owen, Clark, Thomas, Konzum, Kantorsky, uh, Ring, Hal, Hale, Merritt, Greg, Harry, Ostrander, uh, Foster, Brown, Vanderpool, Willis, Booker, Peterson, Veets, Johnson, Gravasio. Uh, and now we have, we have new folks. I know the Hitchcocks have been heavily involved. Shubas, the Peppers, uh, the Whitcombs, the Amexes. And so we see this, 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 this passion for orphan care that's been growing. And we actually had an orphan care Sunday from 2009 to 2016. And again, None of these one things are a magic bullet that turned us into a missions-minded church. But I think all of these things coming together really shaped us. And then we've had Mission Sundays since uh, 2006. And some of those early ones were led by Jeff Love, if any of you remember Jeff uh, Love. Then we had Upward Soccer from 2009 uh, to 2000 and, or 2007, 2009. These are some of the most exhausting years I can remember in ministry. Uh, it, it was only a mere, I guess, two or three years, but we had fall and uh, spring leagues. Uh, we had 28 teams, uh, if you can imagine how many coaches uh, we had in this congregation. And I know that Dawson Kratzer played a big role in that. Ryan Whitford did. I'm sure the Howls were in there as well. Um, but we had a lot of kids on, on, on our grounds, and it was a great ministry to our community. We also had a, a ministry called Downtown Mission. Uh, John and Ashley Booker ran that from 2010 to 2016. I think some of Ryan Anderson's best ministry have been uh, in that ministry where he was preaching under a bridge. We were providing a meal for the homeless and preaching the gospel uh, once a month, and we did that for years. Uh, that was the same year that we started the Great Commission offering. And in that time that we've started it since 2010, we have tripled our money in giving uh, to missions that's outside of uh, the general church budget. We also had a, a urban ministry that we started in 2012 uh, to Gallery Church in, in Manhattan. And some of you have been, uh, have been on those trips. Kyle Barrett was a, a leader in that early on, uh, Gabe Heinerman as well. But that really taught us, I think, to, to love urban ministry, to love even the people of, of, of Manhattan. We also had a ministry in 2012 called Summer of Service. Some of you may remember this. Uh, we would go out in the summer, we would mow lawns, uh, we took care of the grounds and facilities for Down Syndrome uh, of Louisville. There was also an apartment complex called Willowbrook. Some of you may remember that. We would go down there and do a lot of uh, ministry with refugees. These are the types of things God continued to use in growing us as a church. You know. Something else was Adopt a Missionary Initiative. That's a long name nobody ever remembered but me. Uh, but Adopt a Missionary Initiative. There was a, a time when we had 22 missionaries that had been adopted by BFGs. They were praying for them consistently. And this wove even deeper our passion for missions into our congregation. And then there's five loaves. Five loaves started in 2014. Back then it was eyes that see, then it transitioned to gospel and grain. Now it's five loaves. It's had a number of different names and changes in leadership. Uh, but that's a, a ministry that's close to my heart. You know, I'm so proud of, of the fact that our congregation, um, a number of years ago, I think there were 130 kids in the program. 82 of those kids were sponsored through our church. 82. That is phenomenal. That's what a missions-minded church does, is that you give to people yet you don't even know. So all of these things, I think, are building into it. We also have had Oneida Baptist uh, Institute, uh, a school in eastern Kentucky, 
of underserved, underprivileged uh, children. And Larry's played a big role in that. And Beth Blackwell and, and Kenny Rowe and, and Sandy Hazelrig, who've gone on multiple trips to go and serve uh, the kids at that school. You know, we started I Love My Church Sunday in 2017. Uh, you may remember it better back then as Being Neighborly Sunday. Uh, we kind of had a creepy video with Mr. Rogers theme in it. We try to forget it. We've tried to scrub the internet. It still pops up from time to time. But I Love My Church Sunday is a way for us to say, hey, we want to be an inviting church. And God used that. In 2019, we started Love the Ville, which we're going to have uh, this coming uh, Saturday. And we've had, we've had several ministries even here in, in recent years. The apartment ministry across the street that Philip helped start and, and Ben and Harrison and now Timothy are a part of that. Uh, we also have rope holding teams. We've got four of those that are, are, that are prayer teams, ministry teams uh, spe for specific missionaries. And, and God has begun to bless that. And, the, and our latest endeavor has been with Storyline uh, Church in St. Louis and a new partnership uh, that we have there. I'm going to ask you to do something for just a moment. I'm going to ask you, if you were a part of any of those things that I just mentioned, would you just take a moment and stand, okay? Take a moment and stand if you were a part of, of any of those, okay? Now, don't sit down yet, okay? That's a good number. That's a really good number. Now, let me just ask you, not that you were keeping track, but how, how many of you felt like you were probably a part of at least two of those? You can go ahead and sit down if you were not part of two, okay? How many of you felt like you were a part of at least three of those activities, Okay. How many of you were a part of maybe four of those things that we have done historically? Okay. How about, how about five? Wow. <laughs> All right. All right, we're going to say Liz is the last real person standing because you guys, <laughs> you guys get paid to be there. You may not think that people like Liz Howe drive missions around the church. That's maybe, maybe you never even associate Liz with missions. Maybe you associate her with, with college ministry or, or something else. But it's, it's unspoken heroes like Liz Howe and those of you that were standing that really make, the, make this a core value for us as a church. Because, you know, we can do all the preaching we want to, and we trust that God's word is going to work through his people, and we can program you to death, and believe me, we've tried, right? You've seen all the things on the screen. But if it's not for the people of God saying, I care about missions, it matters to me, then, then nothing matters. So thank you to those of you that, that stood up. So that's how missions has become a core value. It's been this consistent chipping away at the wall to say we care about these things. It matters to us. Missions is a core value. But you know what? There's no, there's no, there's no uh, promise that missions is going to be a core value tomorrow or next year or the year after that. And this leads us to, into the second question I want us to, to answer. And how do we ensure missions is a core value tomorrow? Because let me just tell you, there is spiritual warfare that goes on. There is spiritual warfare that is being waged against us on a daily basis. Because I want you to tell you, I want to tell you something. The devil hates you and he has a terrible plan for your life. All right? And the devil hates the church and he has a terrible plan for our ministry. And he, he would love to destroy our sense of community. He would love to destroy our, our, our worship, our, our Christ-centered worship. He would love for us to get lax and not really care about missions and make it somebody else's job. And I want you to know that it has been a hard several years in the area of missions. And I just want to be straight with you. It's been really tough between a lot of missionaries coming off the field because of, of persecution. 
Um, we've had uh, leadership uh, challenges in several of the partnerships we've had. And, and the wreck that COVID has caused over the last several uh, years, it has been, it's been uphill sledding. And it has been tough. And we feel the effects of the missions team. We feel the effects uh, because it's kind of hit and miss right now in the area of missions. You know, we look at the GCO and you guys knocked it out uh, of the park. But with our rope holding teams, it's been a little slow getting those off the ground. You know, we've got our Ecuador mission trip that's coming up. We've got a waiting list for that trip. But the St. Louis trip has been slow to get people signing up. But then Love the Ville, you guys have, have knocked it out of the park there. And, and, and you've been so in, encouraging how you've signed up for that. But how do, we, how do we ensure it's a core value tomorrow? Well, I want to turn to God's word and I want to read to you the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And in Matthew 28, we read in verse 16 through 20, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said uh, to them, All authority on, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am, I am with you always to the end of the age. We read here in, in verse 16 of the Great Commission, it says that the disciples uh, were there with Jesus. Uh, there's 11 of them because it's minus Judas, right? Judas is no longer uh, with them. They're back in Galilee. And we have to assume that Jesus is coming to the end of the, of the 40 days that he is here on earth uh, between his, his resurrection and his ascension. And it's notable that, that Jesus is back in Galilee. This is his home turf. This is where he grew up. This is where he's done much of his ministry. And it's safe that Jesus is on a mountain. And, you know, that's a theme in Matthew's gospel. If you go back and look through Matthew's gospel, if we had time to read all the chapters before 28, we would see it seven, seven different instances that the, a mountain is referenced as a place of, of revelation from God or communion with, with God. And then in verse 17, when they see Jesus, they do two things, don't they? The first we would expect, the second we wouldn't expect. If you were to see Jesus, you would probably worship him, wouldn't you? And that's exactly what the disciples do. But what is the second thing it mentions? It says that some doubted. And, and that's interesting that it says that, that some doubted. Because I don't know about you, but if I was writing this gospel, I probably wouldn't include that part. Because it's going to make it really hard on a preacher one day to have to explain why were people doubting. Don't they have the resurrected Savior right in front of them? And this word for doubt, uh, distazos, refers more to hesitation than really unbelief. But you can imagine that, right? Can't you imagine in, in, in the hearts of the disciples, they're still trying to figure it all out. You know, sometimes we want to read onto the text that all these men were perfect. We want to assume they had, they had uh, no sinful patterns. They had no questions. They, were, they had great faith all of the time. But they're human, just like you and I. And they're imperfect. And they're trying to figure it out. We've been following this guy for three years. You know, he, he was killed. We didn't really know what was going to happen. He resurrected. We're tr he says he's going to leave us. We're trying to figure it all out. So I think when it says they doubted that hesitation, they didn't have all the answers. But they're there and they're following Jesus. And then in verse 18, we have these first words. It says, and Jesus came and said to them. And when we ask ourselves, how can we ensure that missions is going to be a core value tomorrow? Here's the first thing I would say to you. Today we make sure what matters to Jesus matters to us. How, are we, how is it going to be a core value tomorrow? It's whatever matters to Jesus should matter to us. You know, this past 
um, this weekend. I was actually in Illinois, and we had a Ring family reunion. And what, but while we were there, I got to spend some time with my granddad, Riley. And over the last year, my granddad, Riley, has begun to share with me a lot of stories and a lot of things that I'd never heard before about his life. And in particular, uh, uh, I guess scenes and, and things that happened to him when he was in World War II. And this past year, I think it was like October, November, I was over at his house, and he was sharing with me these stories that I don't think he had ever shared with anybody in the entire family. And then he goes back to his back bedroom, and he pulls out this, uh, this leather container. And in this container, I'd never seen it before, and in this container are about 100 photos that he had taken in 1944 in Germany and in France when he was in the war. And he starts pulling these out, and these are just like gold. I'm looking at these. He's explaining to me all, the, all what was going on with these pictures. Some of them, honestly, he didn't remember. He's 97. But I'm like, Granddad, Why? Why are you waiting until you're 97 years old to share these things with me? You know, you could have, you're in the last chapter. You know, you never know when your last page of your book is, right? Why did you wait so long? And I think it's because he realizes he's, he's in that last chapter of his life. He's coming to the end. And he wants to share with us meaningful things. And, and those last conversations, and if you've ever had someone who's passed away and you've had a last conversation, how special is that last conversation? And you think about it, this is really Jesus' last conversation. Matthew's gospel is coming to a close. And you think about all the things Jesus could have talked to them about. All the encounters, all the miracles that they had witnessed, all the experiences, even the persecution. But he chose not to talk just about anything. He, told, he chose to talk about one thing. He talked about evangelism. And he talked about missions. So that should be important to us. If it mattered to Jesus, it was the last thing he spoke about, it should matter to us. And I'm glad that it's a core value. In verse, uh, the second part of verse 18, we pick up and we read those familiar words. Jesus says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. We know that to be true. The author of Hebrews says he's the firstborn over all creation. If anybody has authority to speak truth in your life, it's Jesus. And so he does. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm so grateful that, that Jesus gives us this articulation of the Trinity. That is a gift. It is a gift. It's a clarifying gift that we know that the Godhead is three in one. Jesus makes it clear for us here. And then he gives the imperative that we are to go. We're not to be stationary. We are to be on the move as the people of God. And we're to make disciples of all nations. And when we see that word nations, there's been so much discussion about what that word means. It's really a word that, that is really about people groups. It's not saying like we should go to all countries. Like when we go to Ethiopia, uh, oftentimes, you know, we'll go there and you'll notice there are kind of different people groups when you're there. There's the Oarams, which is the largest people group. There's the Amhara, which is the second largest people group. And there's, there's the Somalis. There's all types of people groups when you go there. So I think when, when he's saying to go to all the nations, he's saying to go to all types of people. But the point of here is that he's saying don't divorce evangelism and missions. Don't divorce evangelism and missions. When we pick out our mission trips as a missions team, we actually have a, a, a packet, our mission trip leader packet. And there's a list of diagnostic questions that we ask uh, when it comes to deciding what trips we're going to go on. And one of those diagnostic questions on that list is, when we go on this mission trip, will we partner with a local church? Why does that even matter? Well, it matters because when we go on a mission trip, we're there no longer than 10 days. That's the longest amount of trips that we kind of do. When we share the gospel, who is going to be there? Who is going to be there to disciple them? 
And that is really important to us as a church, that, that we keep these things together. We do not divorce evangelism and discipleship. So how are we going to make sure that, that missions is going to be on that wall next year? The second thing is that today we make sure we do what Jesus commands. And the command is clear. The command is to go. And we are called to be an obedient people. And he has called us to go. And, I, and I'm grateful for the clarity that Jesus gives here. Because we live in a time where clarity is not king, right? Clarity is not being given to us by the world, but confusion. We live in a land of confusion, don't we? You guys ever just wake up, you watch the news, and you're like, where did I wake up? What, is it, what in the world has, has happened uh, all around us? You know, the, our worldview in this room is the worldview that many have, and that is that there's a God, right? And even if you're not a Christian, there are many in our world that believe there's a God, and there's a right and a wrong. This has been, you know, the dominant worldview for all of human history until like the last 15 minutes, right? And, and it seems like everything has fallen apart. And now, you know, we're considered uh, bigoted and narrow-minded because we believe crazy things like there's two genders and men can't get pregnant and these types of things, right? And so we see the world is trying to bring confusion, but what has Christ done for us? What does he do again and again? He brings clarity. He tells us what the gospel is. The gospel doesn't change. Everything in this world is changing, but the gospel does not change. It is consistent. And we have this consistent calling to go and to share that gospel. So what does that mean for you? In Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 1, there's a well-known verse there. Let me read it for you. It says, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And here's what I would say. I know some of you are like, you're asking yourself, what does this mean for me, right? That's where we need to take this text. What does this mean for me? And what I want us to see is in Hebrews chapter 12, the author of Hebrews commands us. He says that we're to run a race. And part of that race and running it with endurance means that we're going to be on mission. But he says, first of all, cast off sin that weighs you down. Okay, that's obvious. We know we need to get rid of that. But then he also says that we need to cast off weights. Or some of your translations may say that we need to cast off whatever hinders, hinders us. And notice that it doesn't say that's sin. It doesn't say it's wrong. Sometimes the hindrances that keep us from doing what God calls us to do aren't wrong. They're not sinful. They're just not the best things for us. So one of the questions I would just hope that you would ask yourself tonight is are there things that are hindering me from going? What are those things? Are there things that God would want me to get rid of? So I think that's one thing that I think we see from this text. And we need to be reminded that our salvation is not the end game. Our salvation is not the end game. Our end game is to glorify God, and part of that is by going. Verse 20, it says, And behold, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Matthew closes his gospel out with this spiritual promise, doesn't he? This age will end when Christ returns, but until then, we have the Holy Spirit. This is the passage, or at least the chapter Philip preached last week, Acts 2. We remember at Pentecost that the Holy Spirit came down upon the church. He lit the church on fire. And here's the point. Each one of us has been given a spiritual gift to fulfill what Christ has called us to do. We've been filled with the spiritual power. So if we are going to be a missions-minded church in, in, in the coming decades, in the coming centuries even, today we must believe what Jesus commanded we can do. It's not that we've been commanded to do something and we're powerless to do it, but God has given us everything we need to fulfill the Great Commission. 
because we were promised a helper. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, I will pray to the Father. And what will the Father do? The Father will send you a helper at the right time. And Matthew's words should be comforting to us. When we realize that, that we don't do things in our own power. And when we realize that, then we are in the right position to do what God wants us to do. So, I'm grateful to be your missions pastor. I am grateful that we have a church that's committed to this. But we, we cannot take our foot off the gas. We must continue. And, and, and whether that means you doing evangelism in, in your neighborhood, doing things that have nothing to do with Ninth and O, we want you doing them. And when we, when we throw things out there, we throw mission trips, opportunities, I hope you'll be a part of them to the best that you can. But what we want is we want a church that's committed to truth and worship and community and missions. Let me end with this final thought. I have a quote up here on the screen I want you uh, to read. This is from Patrick Lencioni. Patrick has written a lot of books on leadership, primarily for organizations, businesses, things of that nature. And he writes this. He says, a core value is something you're willing to get punished for. A core value is something you're willing to get punished for. You know, there are some businesses today that are getting punished because they hold the core values. Uh, whether on the right or on the left, uh, we have examples on both sides. But how much more should that be true of the church? Because, folks, persecution is coming. It is here. There are things today that you are more reticent to say than you would have said a decade ago. But we must be faithful in what God has called us to. He has called us to Scripture, to truth. He's called us to worship. We do it with our whole heart. He's called us to community that takes energy and effort, but we must be committed to it. And we're called to missions. We're called to, to get outside of our comfort zone. And even though sometimes we don't feel like we have the boldness of a lion, we need to act like lions for the sake of Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for Ninth and O Baptist Church. Lord, I thank you for those founding 13 members who constituted this church, who had a vision for it who had a longing to see uh, Louisvillians reached with the gospel. And Lord, I don't think they could have ever imagined uh, all the ministries that we could be involved in today. But God, I pray for our church. I pray that we would be bold as lions. Lord, I pray that we'd not run out the clock on our lives, but Lord, we would be committed every day to your purposes. And your purposes include the Great Commission. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.